like there was a heap of, well, not a heap of us, but there was a few of us there. And as people started coming, everyone just got a big cheer. And then people kept coming, and then the cheer got louder and louder and louder. And it was happening at Friday night prayer as well. As people were coming in, everyone was getting hugs. There's so much joy in the house. There's so much joy in the house. The enemy tries to steal our joy, but the joy of the Lord is our strength to be joined. And that Hebrew word for joy, you've heard me say it before, but if you haven't, I'll say it again. That, is, that word for joy is a one-off word. It, it, is, it, it is used nowhere else in the Bible. It's a Hebrew word. It means to be joined. So as you are joined to the Lord, the joy of the Lord comes, stre- comes forth and, and there's strength. Amen. So it's out of your union with God that the joy comes. It's not a put-on joy, like hee-hee-hee-hee. It is a ho-ho. Oh, oh, it is a deep joy. It is a deep joy that even in the midst of circumstances, so if, if you struggle with that, just go deeper with God. Tap into the life-giving waters of the Holy Spirit and let the joy of the Lord well up in you. Or get someone like Jim to pray for you. He carries the joy of the Lord. Amen. So this morning we are into part two of the restoration of New Covenant Christianity. Lord, we thank you today that your spirit is at work in this place, in this state, in this nation, in the nations of the world, that there are hearts turning and there are hearts returning to you, Jesus. The prodigals are coming home. There's a new time believers coming forth. God, we thank you for this time. But Lord, you are moving, God, to turn, turn us, God, that we would walk in your ways. We are returning to the ancient paths, the war, just, just the paths that have been there, Lord, we want to thank you, God, that you are turning our hearts, that we just don't want an event. We don't want to be part of event Christianity, but God, just we want to live the whole life that you've called us to live together. Amen. So we thank you, Holy Spirit, for what you're doing, and we thank you for your word, God, that goes forth and it does not return void, but it accomplishes what you set forth. Amen. Amen. So if you missed last week, if you weren't here last week, uh, you can go to our website. You can go to the iTunes or Spotify uh, podcasts. You just go and type in Restoration Centres and you'll find us and you can listen to the message if you missed it last week. And the same if you missed this week, although you're not missing this week because you're already here. But if the people are listening on here, maybe they need to. Anyway, it doesn't matter. So last week we laid a foundation for the restoration of new, uh, new covenant Christianity and today we, we continue that. And as I said last week, we use the word covenant because it's so rich in meaning. It's such a tapestry. It's not just a single strand. It's not just a single thread, but it is so rich in its meaning. It is about relationship. It is about the promises of God and it is about community. It's about the one another's. We spoke about the Trinity because the true restoration is founded upon the Trinity. And there are believers today that don't even believe that there is a Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But we base our foundation on the love of the Father and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Come on. We can't truly be the church if we've dropped one of those. You can't truly be the church without the love of the Father. You can't truly be the church without Jesus. And you can't be the church truly without the Holy Spirit. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know, oh, can I just divert just for one tick? Is that all right? 
Someone said no, did they? No? Yes, go for it, Tim. You know, there's a, there's a passage that always, that I go back to every now and then, I think, man, that just speaks so much volume, and, and, and I won't get into the depth of it today, but, you know, there are, there are Christians trying to do life without Jesus. And what I mean by that is, um, I don't mean that they don't believe in Jesus, but they're trying to do life without Jesus. Jesus is everything. He doesn't leave us nor forsake us. He is with us, Jesus. It is Jesus, it is Jesus, it is Jesus. Amen? You drive along the road, it is Jesus. You go to work, it is Jesus. You're at home, it is Jesus. When you lie down, it's Jesus. When you get up, it's Jesus. But there are people that are trying to live life in their own strength and out of their own resources rather than out of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what happened, and this is a prophetic statement. This is actually something that happened in history, but but it is also a prophetic statement to many today. And it's found in Isaiah 4. And it says, on that day, seven women will seize one man, saying, we will eat our own bread and provide our own clothing. Just let us bear your name to take away our disgrace. So it was something that happened in history that there was a war and there was a lot of men that died in the war. So seven women took hold of one man because it was a disgrace not to, you know, bear the name and to be married in that way. So they would, so seven would take hold of one. But they were saying, you know, we don't need the food. We don't need the clothing. We don't need anything you provide. We just need your name so we are not disgraced in the eyes of community. You know, this is a prophetic picture. Seven women. Seven is, the, you know, the number, of the, like the perfect number. It speaks of the church. There were seven churches in Revelation, amen, that Jesus spoke to. Seven women will take hold of one man, and that man is Jesus Christ. But the problem is there are too many Christians saying that we're going to eat our own bread, and we're going to provide our own, own clothing. We only just want your name so we're not disgraced. And there's... But then it talks about, and man, if I go into that, we're going to be really off track. Verses 2 to 5 talk about a branch or a remnant of the Lord, which is glorious. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be someone that says, Jesus, I just want your name. I don't need the food or the clothes. I don't need that. I just want your name. I want to be part of the branch that is glorious. And it says, the Lord will be a canopy for those people. Go home and read it, Isaiah 4. It's only got six verses in the whole chapter. You could meditate on it for a week. Normally in Isaiah, there's like 50 verses or 60 verses. There's only six verses. Maybe that's why people don't read it. They go, well, that's a short one. Anyway, I got there because of Jesus. You know, where do we go today in the time restrictions that we have? If we were in Africa, we could stay here for another three hours. Or more. Woo! And we can sing some songs. Higher, 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 higher. Higher, higher, lift up Jesus, higher. Come on. Higher, 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 higher. Higher, higher, lift up Jesus, higher. Lower, lower, lower. Come on, I feel like I'm doing the art by myself. Lower, lower, car seats and lower. Yeah, okay, okay. Man, we've really... You're not there yet. What's well, about time we got there? We just sang a song here, the chains hit the ground all over this place. 
Is it okay if we have a bit of fun every now and then? No? Is it? Oh, good. Anyway, man, I'm really getting off track. We could, <laughs> we could read the whole New Testament and we could pick up so much. We could, we could literally be on a Sunday, we could literally be in this topic for the rest of the year. Really. And just take little bits. There is way too much. You, you, you just got to read the New Testament with eyes to see. And you'll start to see that we could talk about the Word of God and how we need to be a people in the restoration that we stand on the Word of God. There are so many believers that are casting the Word aside and they're picking and choosing which parts they want to take and which parts they believe. But you know what? We need to be a people that stand on the Word of God. We need to be a people of prayer. We could stand, you know, just we could talk about prayer. And, and, and over the years we have in Restoration Centre because they, our Friday night prayer meeting's been going for six years and it's still going. We need to be a people of prayer. And that doesn't mean we just go to a prayer meeting. It means that we live a life of prayer where Jesus is before us. We could talk about stuff like giving. Ooh. I remember Matt, Matt, Matt Abel came back from an uh, evangelism thing last year and he listened to a guy called Daz Chettle. Now, if you look up Daz Chettle on Facebook, he's got dreadlocks, he's got tattoos, he's got earrings, he's got the whole thing. He was saved out of a life of drugs and stuff and he's radically saved and gave his life to Jesus. And as an evangelist that goes out there and evangelizing, he, he kind of hit, hit people between the eyeballs and he said this statement. He says... Are you really planted in a local church? Are you really planted amongst um, a fellowship of believers? Don't just tell me that you are. He said, I can tell how you are. And he, he, was, he was pretty bold, but that's what evangelists are. Hey, they're pretty like in your face. And he said, show me your bank statement and I will tell you whether you are really part of a local church or not. Whoa, so we could talk about giving. It's right in the New Testament. You know, what, what, what we did for Tamworth was totally biblical. We took up an offering and we sent it with the team and we gave it to the church in Tamworth to be a blessing to them. That's what Paul did. He took up an offering from one place to bless another place. They were so generous, so generous. They had an understanding that God would provide every need that they had. And so they just were continually giving. We could talk about living for Jesus. Well, that, we, we should really talk about living for Jesus and I hope we do. We could talk about the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news and what that really means for us. We could, we could talk about so much as we open the New Testament, couldn't we? You see, but we've got to understand this. On Friday night in our prayer meeting, we, we were standing against the spirit of religion because, you know, religion takes over and pushes the Holy Spirit out. But we need more Holy Spirit. Amen. Most of the Pentecostal church in Australia is really not that Pentecostal anymore. It's more contemporary. So we need more Holy Spirit. We need more Holy Spirit. We need more Holy Spirit. Amen? Because the New Testament is full of, of what the Holy Spirit was doing. But religion, what it does, the essence, the spirit of religion, what it does is it takes what is meant to be a lifestyle and it turns it into an event. Now, please hear me. There's nothing wrong with the event. There's nothing, and what I mean by that is there is nothing wrong by um, holding our Friday night prayer meeting. But what it does, if we're operating in the spirit of religion, is we tick the box and go, I've done my prayer this week. 
We come and bring our tithes and, and our offerings and we put them in the box and we tick the box. I've done that this week. But then we meet someone that needs a helping hand, but you go, no, 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 I've already done my giving this week. You listen to, to Tim sharing something through the Word of God, tick, I've done my Word this week, when in fact we should have the Word open in our homes every day. You see, religion takes something that's meant to be a lifestyle, worship, worship. We take it and we go, well, we've done my worship for this week. I've sung a few songs. That's my worship. No, no, no. Your life is meant to be a life of worship unto the King. You see, it takes it out of what it's meant to be a whole and tries to put it in a box. So you go, tick, I've done it. And all of a sudden, you've got this checklist. Tick, tick, tick. I'm a good Christian. Off I go. No, no, no. We're meant to live our life for Jesus. Yeah? We need to stand against the spirit of religion that tries to put everything in a box. Amen? True New Covenant Christianity is about living life together. You can't do it solo. You actually can't. You're not meant to be separated. And in fact, if we went down this path today, but we won't go down there, we see that not only as individuals do we need connection to one another, but in the New Testament, under the New Covenant, each household is actually connected to the other. Because in the eyes of Jesus, there is one church, many households in each city. There's one church. And that's why he says, greet the household that meets at Priscilla's house. Greet the household that meets at this house. Greet the households. It's one church, many households. Because he writes the letters and he says, to the saints in Ephesus, to the saints in Corinth, to the saints in Rome, to the saints in Philippi, to the saints. There was one church, many households. And that letter was being passed from household to household. It was like if we'd receive a letter today from Paul, Paul would like we would receive the letter as the household of restoration and then we would pass it on to the household of... Nazarene, wherever. That's actually the mindset of Scripture. We're not meant to be separate, but we're meant to be connected. You know, the verse that the Lord's been speaking to us about a little bit lately, because we wrote that song, The Cradle for His Glory, is in Ephesians chapter 2. And it says in verse 21, actually, let's go back to 19. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers. You are are no longer foreign foreigners and strangers. Hands up who's given their life to Jesus. You're no longer a foreigner. You're no longer a stranger. But you are now fellow citizens with all the saints, and you are members of God's household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone and in him the whole building, the whole building is being put together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord and in him you're also being built together as a dwelling place for God's presence or God's spirit. One of the things that's happening, I believe that God is trying to deal with the individualisticness, the, the in, no, that's not a good word, is it? The in, uh, individuality, no, individualistic mindset that we have about who we are, individualistic mindset. He's trying to deal with that because we live in a society that promotes self. It is full of self. 
Just look at the advertisements. It's full of self. Just look at the laws that are being passed in Parliament. It's full of self. My body, my choice was the slogan for the horrible abortion law that got passed in Queensland. It's horrible. But the slogan was my body, my choice. But hang on a minute, there was, a, there was someone else that was involved in this. And the same in the church today, it's not me, me, me. No, no, there's, there's always someone else involved. And I believe God is trying to get the church's attention because we are far too individualistic. You see, because unity and oneness, you can't have new covenant Christianity without unity and without oneness in relationship. Amen? Why? Why? Because Scripture clearly says that the glory of God, the love of God, the presence of God, the blessings of God are manifested in unity. Yep. No wonder the enemy tries to divide, divide marriages, divide households, divide families, divide churches. No wonder because there is blessing and love and, and blessing, I'm oh, sorry, I already said that, blessing, love, glory in unity. That's why the enemy's trying to attack all the time. Unity, unity, unity. And the church just needs to wake up and go, oh, hello a minute, this is, this is not of God. Psalm 133 says, and you, most of you would know this verse, how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony or in unity. It's like the fine oil on the head running down the beard, running down Aaron's beard onto his robes. It is like the dew of Mount Hermon falling on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has appointed his blessing and life evermore. You know, I was saying on Friday night that, you know, that if we're living in a place of being, uh, living in a place of unity, that we don't have to ask for God's blessing, because the blessing of God will already be manifesting, because it says there is blessing in unity. Yep, Bundaberg will be blessed as the people of God start to get together. That's the simple truth. Jesus said. In John 17, in his, in his prayer that always touches my heart, it always undoes me. It's always at the core of, core of my prayer life. And he says, I pray not just for these. So that's for the disciples that were walking on the face of the earth at that time. But I also pray for all those who will believe in me through their word. You know what? That includes us. All the way through the generations, it includes us. He's praying for us. We're in this prayer. May they all be one, as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they be in us, so that the world may believe that you've sent me. I have given them the glory that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. There is such, a, there's such blessing in unity, but there's so, many, there's so much witness in, in unity. So much. And in every letter, Paul is addressing, you see little elements that Paul is addressing uh, unity. He's, he's addressing division because you know what? It happens. He said to the church in Corinth for a start, which we just touched on, but let me just touch on it again this morning. 
for those that weren't here last week. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with what you say, that there will be no divisions among you and that you will be united with the same understanding and the same conviction. Paul was addressing this stuff. For it's been reported to me, by my brothers and sisters, by members of Chloe's household, that there is rivalry among you. One says, I follow Paul, or I belong to Paul. I belong to Apollos. I belong to Cephas. I belong to Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in Paul's name? That's why the best answer when someone says, Got to think for a minute. Got a blank. In the census, isn't that there's a census coming out soon, isn't there? The best thing to do is tick Christian. Or if it's not there, tick tick the empty box and write Christian. Yeah, because people live under tags. I'm a Baptist. I'm a Pentecostal. I'm a Presbyterian. I just say I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. What would that start to do, even in our thought patterns and our thinking, if that's all we said, as opposed to everything else? Paul, in the church in Philippi, he was addressing, he was addressing division between two people. Oh, I've got so many bookmarks today. Oh. He was addressing division. And this is what he said to them. He said, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship with the Spirit, if there's any affection and mercy, then make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, being united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. He was, he's just saying, put the other person over yourself. Don't think of yourself first. Think of the other person. He wrote to the church in Ephesus and he said, I urge you. Isn't it interesting? He uses these words a lot. I urge you. I urge you. I urge you. It's not just like, you know, like when you feel like it, you know, when you get around to it, just do this. It's like I'm, I'm urging you. So there's actually a choice. There's actually like, like be intentional about it, make a decision about it, and actually do it. Amen? And he says, oh, so I urge you, with all humility and gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who is above all, through all, and in all. He just, I mean, we could go more into this, but we've got to realize, and I hope we do, that connection and relationship are vital to living in New Covenant Christianity. You can't, you can't do it any other way. You can't truly live in the restoration of New Covenant Christianity without one another. The love of God is, you know, there is so much more about the love of God and I don't, I've still got areas in my life that I, 
I still need to understand it more. Because when you get a revelation, it sets you free and you can live in that area so differently. You know, you get a, you get a, you get a revelation of God's love and all of a sudden you don't want to speak about people behind their back anymore. You get a revelation of God's love and gossip just disappears. That's why I always say to people, when I, we know you're out there and stuff's going on, I'm going, you need more of Jesus. Because the more of Jesus we have, everything else comes into perfect alignment with him, amen? John says it this way, he says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we could be called his children. For that is what we are. We're children of God, but he's lavished his love on us. He goes on to say in verse 16, he says, This is how we know what love is. He laid down his life for us. Jesus laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has the world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need but withholds compassion, how does God's love reside in him? Man, that's a challenging statement, isn't it? That's hitting at the core of thinking as an individual, isn't it? That you've got something that someone else actually needs. And the challenge is to be able to bless them and help them in that area. There's, there's a challenge. Now, let's not take it out of context because Paul then later addresses those who are idle. That just don't lift a hand to help anyone. And he says, no, 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 you've got to warn them. You need to warn them about their idleness. So we've got to bring everything into context, amen? But Jesus laid down his life for us. Before we knew him, he laid his life down. It wasn't like, well, I'm going to wait till they change or I'm going to wait till they get it and then I'm going to lay my life down. He said, no, no, I'm laying my life down. And I think that's why Jesus starts saying, you know, that how we need to forgive people, 70 times 7. He talks to us about when someone, you know, slaps one cheek, you let them slap the other one. Like his love is just, it knows no bounds. His love knows no bounds. And that's why I go, man. Then we turn to the book of Acts. We turn to the book of Acts and we can't spend much time in there today. Otherwise, we, we would definitely be doing what the Africans do. But we see, we see in the book of Acts that they devoted themselves to one another, to being discipled, to prayer, to communion. They were meeting in each other's homes. They were breaking bread together. They were living life together in such a way that the glory, remember this, where there is, uh, where there is unity, God commands a blessing. They were living life together in unity. It says that they were in one accord. The blessing of God was evident upon their lives. And in such a way, people were coming and the Lord was adding to his church daily those who were being saved. You know, I've said this because I absolutely believe it, that people, because the blessing of God was so evident, because the church was living how it was meant to live, that people were actually coming and saying, what must I do to be saved? We actually didn't need to, that, they actually didn't need to go out and go, you know, you need to know Jesus, you need to know Jesus. There was such blessing that was being manifested that people were coming. And the reason that we as the church have to go is because we're not living the life together that we're meant to live. And people not seeing the fullness of the blessing of God. Is that a little bit bold? 
you know, it's like when it's like when Rees Howes was in Africa. What an amazing story. Hands up who's read the testimony of Rees Howes. Oh, man, you need to get that book. You need to read it. It is an amazing testimony of a life that has lived for Jesus. Anyway, he went as a missionary down into Africa during the early 1900s when one of those, we talk about COVID and stuff, where one of those plagues was wiping out billions of people or millions of people across the face of the earth. I can't remember which one it was. It's been a while since I read the book. And the Lord gave gave him a promise. He said, not one person that is on your property will die from this plague, for my blessing is upon you. You know, over time, witch doctors and other people started to come onto the land and say, tell me about this God of yours. Tell me about this God of yours because I've seen that no one's dying. I'm seeing health. I'm seeing life. I'm seeing hope. I'm seeing joy. Tell me about this God of yours because I need to know him. That's the same as what the church is meant to be, that we are meant to be living the life that we called to live together in such a way that people go, tell me about this God of yours because I'm seeing joy and I'm seeing hope and I'm seeing life and I'm seeing stuff that I don't see anywhere else in the world. You know, it doesn't worry me that the world is on the verge of decay. The world, you know, the the earth is under the bondage to decay. It doesn't worry me. It doesn't worry me. Why? Because the church is going to start to get brighter. The church is going to start to get wider. We're going to start to stand out for Jesus. We're not going to we're not going to fall back into the patterns of this world. We're not going to be a part of lukewarm Christianity, but we're going to start to rise up and actually start to be who we're meant to be in Christ. You see, we haven't stood out that that much for quite a while. Because there's this gray area. And as the dark gets darker, the light gets brighter. I want to be part of that group. And that's why you need to grab your brothers and sisters. You need to grab them and you need to start drawing them into fellowship somewhere. Whether it's in a home, whether it's somewhere, whether it's in coffee shops, whether it's here, you need to draw those people that are not in fellowship. You need to draw them because it is a slippery slope to lukewarmness and apathy and complacency. Iron does sharpen iron. It really does. And we need each other so much. We get it. Can I say this? Sorry if it offends anybody. We get it so wrong when we disconnect, thinking we don't need other people. You know what the root of that often is? It's pride. I don't need other people in my life. I can do it. It's just me and Jesus. It's all good. But we need each other. We need the fivefold ministering because it's the only way to maturity when we're in community. New Covenant Christianity is active. It's not passive. And I think one of the problems that we've had in this nation over a period of time is that the church has been passive. And the enemy has come in and he's taken ground in this nation because the church has been passive. Nowhere in Scripture do we see the church as passive. It is always active. The gospel, of the, the gospel is active. The good news of Jesus Christ is active. On the day of Pentecost when the Spirit of God was poured out and there was stuff happening, it was active, but it never stopped there. They didn't just become a holy club. As persecution broke out, as it broke out and it dispersed them, they took the gospel with them and the gospel went into other nations through persecution. It was active. 
And Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven is forcefully advancing. Matthew chapter 11, verse 12. The kingdom of heaven is forcefully advancing and forceful people lay a hold of it. You tell me where the passive is in that. We're not sitting back with our little lounge chairs and just waiting for the next fun thing to happen. We're going, you know what? Christ has blessed me with every spiritual blessing in Him. I was talking to a friend during the week. She's giving me a little book to read. Did you give me that little book thing? We're talking about blessing because Jesus has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Amen? It says that in Ephesians. You are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And often we just speak a blessing. It's like, Matt, I bless you. Bless you in Jesus' name, brother. Bless you. But what is the blessing? What am I blessing him with? We actually have to be specific rather than just, you know, I bless you. What, do I, what does my brother need? Yeah, okay. I bless him with provision in Jesus' name. I bless him with provision. And I bless him with, with health and wholeness in Jesus' name. I bless him. Name the blessing. Name the blessing over your, over your family, over your brother and sister. Speak blessing to them, but name the blessing. Name the blessing. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. There's nothing passive about Christianity. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you must take up your cross and die to self and follow me. Where's, where's the passiveness in that? There is, a, there is a decision, there's a choice. I'm dying to self, I'm taking up my cross, and I'm following Jesus all the way. There's nothing passive. We can look at Bundaberg, and we can look out there, and we can look at the violence in the homes, and we can look at the drugs, and we can look at the alcoholism. You know, Bundaberg is no different to any other city in Australia. It is everywhere. Because the church has been passive, it's not active. And so the overflow of, of new covenant Christianity, living life together, encouraging one another, helping one another, loving one another, training one another, equipping one another, the overflow is there. It's there. It's into your neighbor's house. It's into the people that you work with. It's the people that you see down the street. That's the overflow. I'm going to finish. There's a verse in Galatians that the Lord drew me to during the week, Galatians 5. Because we talk about freedom, don't we? And you, hear, and you hear people say, I'm free, I'm free, you know, I'm free, I can do this, or I can do what I want, or whatever. And I'm like, oh man. Christ has set us free from the law of sin and death. But he hasn't set us free for our own selfish desires. And it says that in Galatians 5.13. For you were called to be free. Brothers and sisters, you were called to be free. But don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But rather serve one another in love. Christ has set us free, not for ourselves. He's actually set us free from the flesh. If we get down to it, he set us free from the flesh so that we can actually live as righteousness, that we can actually live by the Spirit, that we can actually live by the law of love and we can serve one another in love. That's why we've been set free.
Jesus modeled that, didn't he? Jesus modeled how he served other people. Jesus modeled a version of discipleship where he would, he would teach them, but he would show them something and he'd say, now go and do likewise. Isn't, isn't, isn't that what we see? Now go and do likewise. You give them something to eat. One of the changes that has to happen for us to enter into that, because it's in much of the church today, is spectator, consumer Christianity. It is rife in the church in the West. The modern day church, there are so many spectators. There are so many consumers. Do you know there are, there are, there are pastors that are leaving the ministry every day? And unfortunately, there are pastors and leaders and other people that are committing suicide every day. And it shows some things. Obviously, the way the leadership is done and the things that are expected of someone needs, needs to shift and it needs to change. But it's, you know what, there is, there, is in, there is so few people doing everything. Why many people just spectate. And then they want to point a finger and criticise. And I say to people, you have no right to criticise unless you're in the, in the trenches with me. Is that a fair statement? If you want to point a finger from a distance and criticise about stuff, well, good on you. Go and talk to Jesus about it. But if you want to criticise, you come and stand in the bunker with me and then we'll see what happens. And I'm thankful that we don't have a lot of that, so please, I'm not, I'm not talking about that. About <laughs> but it's just a thing that I have, hey. Because you hear it all the time in, the, in community. You hear, it, like you hear it all the time in Bundaberg. You hear it all the time from Christians and I just go, oh, man, stop it. We see in the book of Acts, we see a Jesus-centered, vibrant community of God's people who met in all kinds of ways. I was talking to someone a couple of weeks ago, the music team, you want to come forward, we'll start to wrap this up. I was talking to someone a couple of weeks ago because we asked the wrong questions. Because it was like the mindset is big versus small. Auditorium versus house. Have you ever heard those conversations before? No? Some people have. That's actually the wrong question. It's not, auditorium's not bad. House is not bad. Big's not bad. Small's not bad. The, the actual real question is what is happening? If there is life, if there is joy, if there is hope, if there is His presence, if His Spirit is ministering, if people are being encouraged, if people are being built up, all this kind of stuff, then it doesn't matter whether it's big or small in a, in a home or, or, or an auditorium. We've got to ask the right questions as we go forward, not get trapped in foolish arguments. Paul actually says to one of the churches, I can't think off the top of my head, stop getting trapped in foolish arguments, which actually lead nowhere. Why? We actually need to write, ask the right questions. How do we equip better? How do we disciple better? How do we love? How do we reach? How do we see more and more people connect? These are the questions that we ask because that's part of a vibrant faith community that met in the temple courts in large gatherings. Paul said, I preached to multitudes, but I also ministered house to house. It wasn't either or, it was both end. 
We need to ask good questions as we go forward. Amen? But they lived life in such a way that they were the light in the darkness. They were the light in the darkness. How do we need to structure our lives outside of work, outside of stuff, to actually be more fruitful in our life together? That's the question. Because we've got a, even just within a, like a fellowship, we've, we've got a faithful visitation team, but you know what? They can't do all the visiting. It takes everybody to go, oh, I haven't seen someone for a couple of weeks. Just pick up the phone. How are you doing? What's going on? It's love. It's concern. How am I going to close this today? God, so much stuff. Yeah, let's do that. Jesus, the one man, is the center of the church. There we go. We're getting, we're getting back there. He is the center. Amen? And he is the center of our lives. He is the center of Restoration Center. He is. But you know what? We want to not just, just, we want to just keep him there and we want to keep seeking him. You know, I've seen it before. I was part of a group of people who were on the verge of great things in God and their, shift, and their focus just shifted slightly. It focused from the reviver to revival. It focused, it just, it just was subtle. It just was subtle. But all of a sudden, we were looking at what could happen rather than at Jesus. We need to keep looking at Jesus because he's the author and perfecter of our faith. The early church lived their life as seven women around one man. Except they said, Jesus, you are everything to us. We need your clothes, your clothes of righteousness. We need your food, your fresh manna every day. See, these ones were saying, I don't need that. I can live in my own strength. But no, 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 we are clothed in righteousness. We get fresh manna every day. Every day. Jesus is our saviour. He's our Lord. He's our king. He's our sustenance. He's our helper. He's our provider. He is everything. To Steve's question before, Jesus has done everything. Everything. Let's be a people that go after this. Not for the sake of going after that, but because it is what we're meant to be all along. We're not going to confine God to a box. We're not going to confine God to a time slot. We're not going to confine him into any programs and just be tick, 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 tick. We want to be Jesus, 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 Jesus. Amen? So let's continue to pursue love. Let's, and let's continue to love. Let's go more. You know, be spontaneous. Stand up one Sunday morning and saying, whoever wants to come to my place for a barbecue tonight, my, my, my house is open. <laughs> Where's my wife? I better check with her. 
<laughs> I suppose. <laughs> oh, well, I better go get some sausages. <laughs> okay, it's on. <laughs> There's some people. Oh, hang on, where's my wife? I could be in trouble here. No, I'm not. There was a house two doors down last night. They had a big party. There was cars everywhere down the street and spread all over the lawn. So maybe we need a Jesus party in the street instead. Okay, it's, it's on at the London house tonight. This will be interesting. I wonder how many people will turn up. Just you better bring some food to share just in case I don't have enough sausages. Otherwise, we'll have to break bread and we'll have to get Jesus to multiply it. I think you, you, you're actually wondering whether I'm serious or not, aren't you? Um, anytime after five o'clock. We'll just, I'll be in the backyard. I'll get the fire pit going. Actually, has anyone got any other firewood? Anyone got some firewood you can bring? Okay, bring some firewood for the fire pit. I'll light up the fire pit. Backyard at London's. Okay. <laughs> Come and see me privately, I'll tell you. Not true. I normally don't tell everyone where I live for certain reasons, but... Ask the Holy Spirit where I live. No. <laughs> we get practice on words of knowledge right now. <laughs> yeah, nice. <laughs> yeah, Dave, come and ask me if, if you want to come. It's open by the sounds of it now. So if you want to come, uh, just ask me and I'll tell you our address. So just come and see me afterwards. But it is about living life together, isn't it? It is really easy just to do the church thing where you come to church, even though we are the church. And then you just go off and live life. And you struggle. Hands up who's ever struggled in their life. Hands up who's ever gone through stuff. And you know what? You just go, oh, you know, there's part of you says, I really should ask someone for prayer or, or I should ask someone to help me. But the other part of you says, no, don't worry about it. She'll be right. She'll be right. But we actually need each other. And the more we do that, the love of God will continue to manifest. His word to me in 2003 was that he would bring a love revival. It would be a revival based on his love that knows no bounds. And we say, Lord, bring it on. Lord, we receive your love. All that leads into the song. Good one, Lynn. She chose the song. Holy Spirit chose the song. We receive your love. 